0: I don't know if uh, you've ever met anyone who can see something that's invisible. But in my estimation, they're pretty impressive. Um, They can see what's invisible in part because they know what to look for. I remember the first time a doctor tried to explain an MRI to me. And... uh, sadly it was my shoulder that the picture uh, they took a picture of and he would say so do you see this here and i'd say no nope. he'd say well that you know shows you that this is true i said oh i don't see that either and that was pretty much how the whole conversation went and it uh, turns out that it takes quite a bit to figure out how to read an MRI. I, yesterday, I had the uh, privilege of talking with some accountants. Uh, accountants are known for being super interesting people. <laughs> the present company excluded, of course. But uh, they were talking about receivables and assets and liabilities and Then one of them wanted a with and without statement, and another one wanted a cash projection for the next year, and, I mean, my eyes just glazed over. The reality is that they could see the same numbers that I see, though, and they see something different in those numbers than I see. Because they're trained to see, um, to, to read those numbers in a way that I'm not. Uh, trained to read them, I guess. And I just thought, how many more things are there like that? And they're everywhere, really. I, uh, I used to coach uh, softball, and I would have little girls who would stand up there to play it with a stick, and they would shake like this because the biggest girl on the other team was 40 feet away, throwing the hardest thing she could find as hard as she could throw it at that girl. And then make matters worse, the parents were in the stands yelling something that wasn't helpful. And things were going on out in the outfield, and there was all this going on. And this girls just get overwhelmed, and I'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. Settle down. So you don't have to see all this stuff. You don't have to hear all that stuff. All you need to do, the ball's going to come around. Every pitch comes right off the girl's hip, just like that. You just look right here. If you can look right there, you'll see everything you need to see as though they could begin to see what was invisible. And they could see then if it was going to hit them, but they could also see if they were going to hit it. And the reality is that there's an art to seeing what you should see and not looking at what you shouldn't look at. There is a a skill, you might say, in being able to read what's there that maybe everybody else can't read. And it turns out that Jesus could see things that other people couldn't see, and that they would try and see things that weren't even there. Now, I want, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Because in Matthew 16, Jesus gives advice to people about what not to look for and what to avoid looking at as well as telling them what they will see. And so we're going to read um, Matthew chapter 16, the first 12 verses. Matthew 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it, except for the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed." When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so while the religious leaders were looking for something else, Jesus said, no, you're not going to see that. You're going to see this. And then He told His disciples, look out because I want you to beware of seeing this because you're going to need to see something different. And so He made sure that they were able to see What was on the face of it hard to see. And so it starts out in verse 1 with the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to Jesus. Now, you need to know that this is the first time in the book of Matthew that we see the Pharisees and Sadducees together. They were not friends. They were like Republicans and Democrats, you might say. It was every bit as partisan as you could imagine, only with an overt religious flavor. And they came to talk to Jesus. They came, it says, to test him and ask him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, it's important that you read that carefully. They came asking for a sign, but not a sign so that I could believe, a sign rather because I don't want to believe. They came to test Jesus and ask him for a sign like, can you do this? Can you show me this, uh, some spectacle? Can you make lightning come down or something appear from nothing? What can you do? Show me a trick. And they were trying to test Jesus. It's been my experience, and I'm just going to share it with you, that, that most of the people who would say, no, 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 I can't believe. I'm waiting for God to show me a sign. If anybody says that, for the most part, they, it, it's not because they need a sign, it's because they don't want to believe. They're, it's their way of keeping God at arm's length. And that's definitely the case here. That's what these religious leaders were doing. They were making sure that they did not believe because they were demanding that um, Jesus give them a sign. And so as soon as they pretended to be interested and asked for a sign, Jesus became a weatherman. I don't know if you noticed that. But he said... You know what? You can tell what the weather's going to be like. If you look at the sky at night and it's red, it's going to be a good day tomorrow. If you look at the sky in the morning and it's red, it's going to be stormy. You can tell by by what you look at with the sky what the weather's going to be like. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that or if you've ever thought that, oh, it's a red sky in the evening, it's going to be nice tomorrow that's a nice thing to be able to know. I mean, I, I grew up in Montana, and uh, this was a thing in Montana. In fact, we had a little saying that said, what's this Montana? There are no oceans or bodies of water anywhere nearby, but we had a saying that said, uh, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailor take warning. Now, I think that's funny because there were no sailors anywhere nearby. But we knew enough to be able to look at the sky and figure out what the weather was going to be like. And that's what Jesus is telling them. He said, can't you read the sky and know what kind of uh, weather you're going to have? Why is this so hard for you? Because you're looking for the wrong thing.
1: They were looking for a sign... And just said, there is going to be no sign. There's going to be no sign except for the sign of Jonah. Now, I
0: suspect that giving them any other sign would have been preferable to the sign of Jonah. They probably did not like the sign of Jonah because Jonah was probably not their favorite prophet. Because what Jonah did was Jonah really left Israel and went and prophesied to the enemies, the Gentiles. And they repented and believed. And so the very fact that Jesus picked Jonah as his example probably didn't sit so well with them. Because Jonah was the one that represented God to the outsiders. But it wasn't that that was the sign. The sign, it says in chapter 12, if you look back, Uh, to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So almost exactly the same request. And he answered, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Almost the same answer. But no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So Jesus is on it Twice now, the the sign of the prophet Jonah, that's what you're going to get. But here in chapter 12, he tells us what the sign of Jonah is. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so here, the Pharisees and Sadducees team up to come test Jesus, ask for a sign. Jesus said, there's only going to be a sign of Jonah. You don't need to see a sign. You need to pay attention so you see the sign of Jonah. Namely, the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's pointing at. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then he's not there anymore. Just like Jonah wasn't in the belly of the fish anymore. Same sign.
1: You need to see that sign. So, so don't look at this, look at that. I would say to you the same thing. See, these guys,
0: are, they're, they're coming to Jesus as... Enemies, as opponents, as people who really want to keep God at arm's length. I assume that you're here this morning because that's not how you are. You're looking for a way, really, to draw closer to the Lord. Yet I also imagine that you're probably like me in their days. You have days when it's not real obvious what's going on. It's not real obvious that God is on your side or that He loves you even. And so you're just like, show me something. You got to show me, give me something. Throw me a bone here. And a lot of times, that little prayer, throw me a bone here, <laughs> doesn't really work that great. And I would say to you the same thing that Jesus told them, really, is that all of these other things that you might look for as some kind of verification that God is real and that He loves you, you really, those things are all extraneous. What you really need is to focus on the sign of Jonah. You really need to see and realize what the significance is of the resurrection of Jesus. Because ultimately, it is the resurrection of Jesus that uh, confirms your faith. It's ultimately the resurrection of Jesus that makes Christianity true. And see, one of the things that that I would, you know, when I go through those times and I don't want to look at the resurrection, I want to say, throw me something. Give me some kind of help here. The reality is, those days will come and go. And whether I'm on top of the world or whether I'm down in the valley, the reality is that my faith is only as good as the resurrection of Jesus. My faith is only as good as this sign of Jonah. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, There are no bones to throw. I must have Jesus alive from the grave. In fact, I mean that's what Christianity rests on. I uh, I was just reading in my uh, quiet time uh, I think yesterday uh, the start of the book of Acts, uh, as Acts is sort of the transition from the life of Jesus we're reading about in the Gospels to the life of the church, and right there at the center. Um, one of the 12, Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus and then committed suicide, and he's no longer there. And so the 12 aren't the 12 anymore. There's only 11. They perceive that to be a problem. So they set about to get somebody else. And they decide, what are the qualifications for this somebody else? He has to be with us from the beginning, walk with Jesus until the resurrection, because we need to find someone else who can testify to the resurrection. That's all. Testify to the resurrection. That's what they understood to be the centerpiece of their faith so that the next generation would believe. They had to nail down the resurrection and be certain of that. And then they would be fine. And I would say the same thing for us. We have to go back and back and back to that same sign of Jonah and believe the resurrection. So don't look for all these other signs. Zero in on the resurrection. Well, then we return to the disciples. Now, the disciples are no longer enemies or opponents of Jesus. They're, of course, his friends. And they're in the boat, and they reach the other side. And Matthew tells us, look at verse 5. It says, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Now He doesn't need to tell us this. It comes up later. Right? If you just kept reading, you would find out they didn't bring any bread. But Matthew wants to tell us, he says, so reached the other side, they would forgotten to bring any bread. This is something you'll notice that forms the theme of the next few verses. So, he's, he's highlighting for us, here's a flag of what's important. They forgot to bring bread.
1: And that just makes me smile because Uh, I've forgotten a thing or
0: two in my life, I suppose. But Jesus then says to them, after Matthew tells us this, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, look out. Pay attention to this and not that. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then verse 7. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, oh, we brought no bread. Oh, can you just, I can just see this, right? They're here, they're, they're just climbing out of the boat. Do you bring the bread? No, I didn't bring the bread. Do you bring the bread? I thought you were supposed to bring the bread. None of us brought bread.
1: Great. And so they forgot to bring bread. And they heard Jesus
0: say, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were concerned about their bread. But, verse 8, Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that
1: you don't have any bread? You knuckleheads! See, Jesus wasn't talking about bread, was He?
0: But they heard him talking about bread. Now, I think, it's in, I think it's important for you to realize that we do this all the time, too. You, we don't hear things like they are. We hear things like we are. We don't see the world like it is. Rather, we see the world like we are. In other words, we're all pretty preoccupied with our own selves so that we've got something going on and we hear somebody else say something and we, we interpret it a different way because of how we are and what we're thinking about. And that's just important that, that, to be aware of that, that we all pretty much do that. But these guys did that too, of course. They forgot the bread And so Jesus talked about leaven. They thought, oh, it must be talking about us. He must be pointing the finger at our failure. And I think that that's important to notice,
1: too. That they're preoccupied with their own failure. They're so preoccupied with the fact that they have let Jesus down
0: that they have not brought bread. That they're discussing it among themselves. Saying, what's Jesus going to do now? There's no bread. It was our job to bring it and we
1: forgot it. What's Jesus going to do now? And I have to say... It's really easy for us
0: to somehow be involved with Jesus and think that we let Him down and think that, well, we dropped our ball, so what's Jesus going to do? How can
1: Jesus bring anything good out of this because my part failed? Oh, you have a little faith, one of the
0: indications that you don't have faith or that he could accurately call you, oh, you have little faith, is that you're preoccupied with yourself. When you're preoccupied with yourself, your faith in Jesus will not be what it needs to be. And so he says, oh, you have little faith, do you not yet perceive, verse 9, do you not remember? The five loaves for the 5,000, and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about
1: bread? I mean, think about this, right? Think about this. You remember,
0: don't you? Five loaves for the 5,000. How many baskets left over? I know you didn't get much sleep. Twelve. Okay. Seven loaves for the 4,000. How many baskets left over? Seven. Yes. So Jesus recently fed 9,000 men plus women and children, possibly up to 20,000 people,
1: with bread, Jesus said, um, don't you remember? I don't have a bread problem. Jesus says, I don't have
0: a bread problem. Why do you think that I have a bread problem? You are completely
1: missing the point. See, so many of us, I think, think that Jesus has problems because we have problems
0: But they forgot bread and Jesus doesn't have bread problem. Rather, and then I, I have to smile at this, too. How is it that you think this is about the bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I'd expect Jesus, after being frustrated with them, to break it down for them a little bit, right? But he doesn't. He just says the same thing again. Not even in a different way. Just beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But what's changed then is he confronted them about themselves. He confronted them about... Their own preoccupation with their own failure. Then verse 12 says, they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. I mean, I think that's the most obvious thing ever, right? He did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. But of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So beware, really, of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So what was the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees that they had to beware of? If he's telling you, look out for the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees, what was it? It was really the teaching that your religion is a performance. That God will measure you based on how good you are. That's what their teaching was. They, in Matthew chapter 5, would pray on the street corners in loud voices so everyone would know we're praying. They would wander around town with gloomy faces so everyone would know they're fasting. It's really important to pray and to fast. So I want you to do, I want you to, um, everyone to know. There was this, Performance of religion. They were very much against working on the Sabbath. So much so that Jesus' disciples walk along and take some grain and eat it. Too much work. We have rules about working, you know. The religion is somehow keeping all the rules like you should. That's what they taught. Not only that, But the whole prospect that Jesus might heal someone and do
1: good on the Sabbath was beyond them. They would teach that no matter what, no matter what,
0: even if it meant feeding 5,000 people in the desert, whatever you do, wash your hands first. That's what he'd teach. They would teach, you have to wash your hands. There are no exceptions to the rule. They would teach, these are just by way of the confrontations Jesus had with them, that Jesus couldn't possibly be doing what Jesus was doing. But rather, he had to be casting out the demons by the prince of the demons. In other words, real spiritual power doesn't reside with Jesus, it resides with Satan. I mean, they were really upside down in their teaching. And so the leaven of the Pharisees was really you have to perform, you have to toe the line, you have to do everything so that God is pleased
1: with you. And then maybe, just maybe, you'll be fine. But don't look to Jesus.
0: Because he couldn't be who he says he is because he heals on the Sabbath.
1: Because he casts out demons. Don't look to Jesus. And so this
0: teaching of the Sadducees and Pharisees was a performance focused. Luke tells us in his Gospel, chapter 12, that they were... Um, hypocrites. The leaven of the Pharisees was that they were hypocrites. Namely, that they would perform or pretend to be something that they actually weren't.
1: And of course, Jesus looks through all that to the heart. And so,
0: beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, why would he tell his disciples that? Clearly, they could see the difference between what Jesus was teaching and what the Pharisees were teaching. I would hope. Well, I think some of it is that they fell into the same trap and they didn't recognize it. The Pharisees and Sadducees had said, you have to perform in your religion. You have to do good so God will accept you. And then, what happened to the disciples? Actually, if you turn the coin over, the same thing happened to them, didn't it? They forgot to bring bread. They failed to measure up. They did not do what they were supposed to do. In other words, they failed. Now, it's one thing if you're a Pharisee and you get it all right. It's another thing if you're a Pharisee, though, you get it all wrong, isn't it? I think it's really probably... You know, we would all say, we're not Pharisees. No, we don't want to be a Pharisee. Because they're always bad in the Gospels for one reason. But the reality is that that same performance kind of a thing creeps into us. But not so much that we would strut around the street corners praying and saying, everyone, look how great I am. But rather we would do our best and then we'd be disappointed in ourselves wouldn't we like i failed jesus he really needed me to bring along the bread and i dropped the ball what am i what's jesus going to do now that he's got some you know
1: loser like me on his team i think that's The other
0: side really is the same problem, isn't it? We're trusting in ourselves. We're focusing in on ourselves not so much that Jesus is enough, that His resurrection really is the thing. We're really saying, no, it's still kind of the same old, same old kind of a relationship or kind of religion, and I just need to do a little better than I did yesterday.
1: Because Jesus has a bread problem that I can solve for him.
0: And so, I just want to draw you back and make sure you see what's there and don't see what's not there. That you beware or you look out for that creeping into your heart. So what do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see someone who can do some cool stuff and hopefully he'll do something cool for you? Or is it enough for you to know that the grave is empty? And on your good days and on your bad days, the grave is empty. And the resurrection of
1: Jesus is what you need to hang on to. You need to look at the sign of Jonah. You don't need anything else. Are you looking around to see how you're measuring up?
0: Are you looking around to see if you're doing things well enough? Are you getting sort of your self-esteem from how you're stacking up with other people? Which, if you're winning, you think is good. But then, when you fail, forget the bread, then it's a problem. So be careful what you're looking for, and what I really want to beg you to do is recognize, look at Jesus, see the resurrection is is the centerpiece. That the work that Jesus has done on the cross and the uh, empty tomb—that's enough. You don't need to impress Him. You can can make a mistake and Jesus
1: can still win. Beware. Look out
0: for teaching that says you need to do more or be better. Or that you haven't done enough already. Or that your failure somehow disappoints God. Because Jesus is enough. And when He rose from the dead and now lives to make, um, to represent you before God, that is all you need. And that is all your religion. If it's more than that, you're looking at the wrong thing. And so, learn how to read the sky. Learn how to read the signs of the times. Learn what it means to be satisfied that Jesus is enough for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this reminder that my failure doesn't set You back. Thank You for this reminder that You have already done enough To meet all of my needs and to do everything that needs to be done, and I pray that you would help me not be a person of little faith, looking at myself, thinking about myself, but rather help me to trust in the risen Jesus, whoever lives, to plead my case before you. Thank you that we have something to hang on to, really, at all times. Would you help our hearts to rest in Jesus? We ask this in his name. Amen.